is good to be with you here in Cornwall. It's a lovely day outside. Hopefully you'll be able to enjoy that a little, a little cooler than we'd like maybe at this time of the year, but it's absolutely beautiful to have the sun shining and uh, just to be able to see everything growing and new things happening outside. So uh, I'd also love to just to say, wasn't it great to have some young people leading us in worship today, to have uh, Tristan and Fomka and Angela and Dawson here uh, Angela and Dawson have been interns at Life Center for this last year, and they've been uh, doing a great job leading and serving in different capacities in our church, growing their ability uh, as far as being a uh, part of God's church and God's body, moving and um, doing awesome things. So I'm proud of them and all of them for doing uh, what they've been doing this last year and this morning. It was absolutely wonderful to have them lead us in worship today. So we've been going through our series, Leading More Like Jesus, and uh, today our topic is on leading well, leading well. And uh, Andy Stanley, in a talk he did on leadership, he opened with this line in his talk. He said this, he says, I have participated in every bad decision I have ever made. I have participated in every bad decision I have ever made. And I have to admit for myself, it's true. It's true. Every bad decision I have ever made, relational, financial, parenting, ministry, uh, eating and health and things like that, I have participated in those decisions, those terrible decisions sometimes. And not only did I participate, I was the genius behind that decision. Right? And, and the reason why uh, myself and Andy Stanley, we won't get too worked up about that is because that I know and he knows that we're not the only ones who've done so. You too are a genius as well. You have participated in every bad decision that you've ever made. Not only did you participate, you are that genius. Isn't that awesome that we get to be the genius of our own bad decisions? And I can, I can think of lots Lots and lots and lots of bad decisions I've made from a very young age. I remember having no eyebrows because I thought in the sandbox when we're playing with our cars, it'd be great to have a car wreck. And usually when you have a car wreck, there should be a fire. So what better idea than to get gasoline from your dad's shed and pour the gasoline on your small little cars, then light it on fire? Bad decision. Genius, right? Genius. Leaning over the car as you're about to light it with a match and woof, up comes the flames. Gone go the eyebrows. Bad decisions. We're all guilty of them, aren't we? And I could lead you through a succession of bad decisions that would make you question why you have me as your campus pastor. So I will save you that. I will save you that trauma of wondering why I am standing in front of you today. And I will, I will hopefully redeem that by saying, I've learned a lot from my bad decisions. You know, we learn a lot from the things that go wrong more than the things that go right, right? We like, never do that again, you know. I want to keep my eyebrows. We learn a lot from those decisions. So hopefully today, even if we cringe at some of the decisions we've made, even if we, we, uh, we worry about them or, or look back with regret on those things, um, we can learn. We can learn. Because 
there's lots of decisions, like I said, that we can look back and laugh at, like not having eyebrows as a child for a while and having really short bangs and stuff like that, you know. Um, but when it comes to some of those decisions, have you ever noticed that when it comes to the decisions, the bad decisions that you make, sometimes you can look at those decisions and you look back at them and you kind of give yourself a little of a, bit of a pass because you're like, you know where your heart was at that moment. You had good intentions, right? You made that choice. You decided to go down that road and you, you look at it and go like, but I was trying to do this. I meant to do that or I didn't mean for the consequences of my actions to have that result. It was unintentional. But when it comes to other people and their bad decisions and the results of their bad decisions, we stop and we don't look at their intention, but we look at the results, don't we? We look at it and go like, yeah, but look what happened. I don't care why they did what they did. Look at the result of what they did. And we don't have that same grace for others as we do for ourselves. And as you can tell, when we talk about leading like Jesus, and again, we've, we've set the, the, the standard that every follower of Jesus has to, one, lead themselves and then is going to influence and lead others. Even if it's in a one-on-one -on -one discipling relationship, you are a leader for Jesus. And so as we look at this, we can look and say, leaders have a, have a tough time, don't they? Because all the decisions, all the things that they decide and choose and, and, and look at doing are held under that microscope and they're not necessarily looked at all with intention, but on results, right? What are the results of what's going on? And it can, it can be a challenge, can't it? It's hard to lead well in today's society. It's hard to lead well in any regard in today's society with social media and instant media where every decision is immediately evaluated and judged uh, on, its, on its outcomes. And those of us, again, that are called to lead in God's kingdom. The challenge of leading, it isn't just an organization. It isn't just a decision here or there. It's not even just family. Some of these decisions that we have could have eternal consequences because we're talking about the kingdom of God that we're invited by God to help lead, that we're invited to bring people into that saving relationship with God and then lead them closer to Jesus. And our decisions, our actions have an impact. And so we have to work through what does that look like? What does it look like to lead well, the challenge of leading well? And here's what I believe. And, and there's, this isn't in the Bible or anything like that, but this is just a, a saying that, uh, that is stuck with me, and it's this. If God will lead you to it, then God will lead you through it. And if you're called to lead and God's called you to lead, and again, we've already established that we're all called to do that. If God will lead you to it, then he's going to lead you through it. And now we don't need to lean then on perfection and doing like, I got to get this perfect. I got to get this perfect. I cannot mess up in my leadership because God has called me to this and I got to do it perfectly for him. I can't let him down. I just, if I make one mistake, all this pressure, we don't need to lead like that. We need to trust God. And instead of leading with this perfection goal in mind where failure, any failure makes us a complete failure, we need to lead with perseverance. We need to lean in and go like, I know I'm going to make mistakes along the way. I know I'm going to trip up, but I'm going to lead with humility and perseverance. So this morning, 
We're going to look at Jesus to see what it means to lead well in God's kingdom. Because it's pretty much stating the obvious when we look at Jesus and say, from start to finish, he led well. Right? Even when so many people wanted him to fail, we're looking for him to fail, we're trying to trip him up to make him fail, he modeled and exemplified the true and better good and faithful servant that we're called to be. And so we look to him for our example. And when we look to Jesus, we see two things that allowed him to lead well. Two things. The first thing is this. His inner world was in proper order. His inner world was in proper order. And what that did is our second thing. It made possible that his outer world had no gaps. There was no gaps in who he was when he was with people. There was no hypocrisy, no double standard. There was complete consistency on who Jesus was in private and in public. And as we desire to look like Jesus and lead like Jesus, we need to focus in on that. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we can stop right there and say, have this mind, which is yours within Christ Jesus. We sang a song about how the work of Jesus is finished. He has completed it on the cross. All that brokenness, sin and and hurt and pain that we've gone through, all the things that should disqualify us from stepping into leadership in his kingdom, He's completed it already. And so in him, we have this this foundation to step into in leadership. So have that mind amongst yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, this is a powerful passage in the Bible because it speaks to this God that, that became human, that had the fullness of God. Notice how it said there, he had the fullness of God in him, and yet he humbled himself to the point of being like us. And if you are like me, you quickly realize that you're lacking. There's no fullness in you as far as you are all things. God, all things. You can do everything perfectly. And Jesus limited himself to our form. He humbled himself. And not even just to our form, but, but taking on death. The death that sin causes. He took that on. John Thompson says it like this, the gospels fill in the blanks between Christmas and Easter when God became man and when God was sacrificed with the account of Jesus fully human while remaining God, accepting the limitations of humanity in order to show us how we could truly follow in his footsteps and rely on the power he relied on every moment of the day. So we follow God. We look to Jesus for our leadership example. 
And, and we can take a step there and we can realize, okay, yes, Jesus was perfect. Yes, he was the son of God, but he limited himself. He, he let go of the powers that he had innately as the son of God, as a part of the Trinity. He let go of those powers that he had in and of himself and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he did. The same power that was in Christ is in us. So we can be encouraged that as we step into leading in, in our families, in our own lives, in, in our communities, that we can step into it in the same power with the same humility that Jesus did. And it's in that reliance on the Holy Spirit. More than just reliance, it's in that obedience to the Holy Spirit, that submission to the Holy Spirit that we need to start leading ourselves well. Why? Because you won't be a leader worth following if you don't lead yourself well. You won't be a leader worth following if you don't lead yourself well. And we lead well when we start listening to Jesus and walking that out, that obedience that he calls us to. John 5, 19 to 20, it says, again, because we've been going over this again and again, so it sticks in our hearts. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. There's no way to get around that for us today. Having our inner world in order can only come from what God asks us to do. We need to hear that today. Having our inner world in order, having that inner life, that space between just God and us, if we want that done well, if we want that in order, if we want that healthy, it requires us to be in full submission, full obedience, full unity with God and his word for us. We can't do it any other way, not individually or as a community. There's no way around us working in what God has for us other than in that complete submission to him. And that's why looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith is what we do. We just keep looking to him, looking to him, looking to him, because he is the one who is the, the foundation and the, 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 he's the rock that we stand on and the builder of our faith. We don't build this faith in and of our own strength, but rely on him. And what really makes Jesus' re uh, life so unique and different than our own is that that inner world, that inner and private world was perfectly ordered despite being subject to the same limitations you and I have on our humanity. John Mark Comer in Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry, he, he describes our problem like this, that the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we need the most. In the midst of what C.S. Lewis would call the kingdom of noise, a world of darkness, we listen to Jesus to lead our inner world. Now, Jesus modeled perfectly what it looks like to keep that inner world in order and how to listen to God to hear that inner world, uh, hear how he's leading us. First thing is, he knew how to be still. 
He knew how to be still, to be both quiet in here and out here, to, to know what it meant to like be still and know that I am God. One of the things we need to do is that, learn how to be still and know who is God, who sits on the throne of our hearts and of this world. Second thing is, he knew how to Sabbath. He knew what rest looked like, rest in, in his father. To rest while his father was still working. To take that weekly time to rest. The third thing is he knew how to simplify. To make his life about purpose and not possessions. To make his life not about what he wanted, but about what God wanted. That's what he did. He was still. He knew how to Sabbath. And he knew how to keep it simple. And listen to this in Luke 12, 15, it says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Too many times we can maybe get two out of the three right. We can, we can stop and say, okay, I know that God's um, on the throne. God's on the throne of my heart. And I know I got to take weekly time to worship and to Sabbath and to rest in him. And then we turn and say, and now for the next six days, I'm all going to be focused on how do I make sure I'm taking care of my life? How do I make sure I've got, you know, my retirement set or, or you know, all these plans for my future vacation set and all this thing, my toys set for going and doing all the fun things I want to do in life. And we stop and we realize that we haven't made our life simple. And it doesn't mean, again, this isn't about austerity and, and denying yourself and, and being poor on purpose, but about simplifying it to the purpose of God and then allowing him then to lead you and guide you in all things. To lead well, we too must follow Jesus in learning how to be still, how to practice that weekly Sabbath, and how to simplify our lives. Now, you may be inspired by this, or you may be a little overwhelmed by it right now. Because what we just talked about is a lot of something this, and it can be summed up in one word, do. You have to do those things. You have to stop and, and be still. That's something you're going to have to do. Learn how to cut out all the other voices to only hear God's voice. You have to stop doing something in order to Spend time with God in Sabbath. And you need to stop focusing on other things in order to focus on living simply with God. And those doing things can feel like uh, we're working for our faith and we're working for leading the way God wants us to. And then if, if we desire to lead well, it's going to require us doing something. And yet, it's in whose strength that we do this that is of greater importance. We don't want to work in our own strength, but we want to work in God's strength. Charles Kraft said it like this, Jesus worked in the authority and power given to him by the Father, never once using his own divinity while on earth. Jesus did all this to, dis to, dis to demonstrate God's love, which is a relational thing, to teach us what God and the Christian life are all about. Knowledge, true thing. To free people from Satan, a power thing. He gave, uh, he gave to us the same Holy Spirit under whom he worked. Saying whoever has faith in him will do the same things he did and 
more. Jesus, like we said, didn't rely on his divinity, didn't rely on the power that he had as the Father, Son, and God, triune God. He gave up those things to rely on the Holy Spirit to show us the way of how to do this. And we need to do the same thing. Right since the, the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve wanting to take the knowledge of good and evil and decide what is right and wrong for themselves, humanity has been doing just that, saying, I am in control. I'm going to use my power to decide my future. And Jesus came to show us a better way, the only way, and that we don't use our power to decide our future, but we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us into God's preferred future for us. And that, while the inner life of Jesus and of a leader is, is so important, it's mostly unseen, right? It's the things that people don't see you do, that stillness and quiet time and that simplicity that you choose to do. People don't see those things, and yet they're of vital importance in order for us to have our outside, uh, like the, the part, the, the public side of us, actually be congruent with it. And Jesus, though, what he would do is he would just live revealed in front of his disciples so they could learn and see how to live that out. They weren't, they weren't hidden away from what it looked like for Jesus to have that inner world in alignment with his Father. Now, you'd think the disciples would have, uh, you know, this figured out, right? But you can see how they, they worked it through, right? That's why the disciples would ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, if they were Jewish at all, if they were following Torah at all, if they were going to synagogue at all, those boys would know uh, what, it, what it means to pray. They would have been taught how to memorize the prayers, how to go through those motions of this is the prayer in this festival, this is the prayer at this moment, this is the prayer for this season. They would know their prayers. And yet... They saw something different in Jesus. They saw a different connection with God than what they had. And what did they do? They said, Master, teacher, teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray like you pray because you've got a connection in your inner world that we don't have when we recite these prayers. Teach us how to pray. So we all look to Jesus to lead us like that. And that brings us to the second part of leading well. That there isn't a gap between who we are publicly and privately. See, the central critique uh, uh, Jesus had for the leaders of his day, what was it? What did he do and say to the leaders of, uh, within the church, to the Pharisees and, and, and priests of that day? He called them what? Hypocrites all the time. Right? Why? Because they acted one way in public and lived another way in private. They had expectations on people that they themselves, uh, you know, weren't quite living out in their heart. And he called them hypocrites. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. It says this, You hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their inner world looks so different than their outer world. Now, in those states, the, the, the outer world looked perfect. They did everything right by the outward look, but their hearts, who they were on the inside, was corrupted. That's why in another instance, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it looked so clean and it looked perfect, but what was inside was dead. Their inner world did not match their outer world. Their private life didn't match their public life. 
the greatest critique against the leaders of any age then is this. What, leaders, what a leader says should align with what a leader does. So what about that gap for us? What a Christian says and does. Is that a big deal? Can that gap cause serious pain and trouble? The answer to those questions is yes and yes, of course. Sadly, there's been far too many who've been wounded by the gap between our Christian public world and private world. Today in Canada, we can look at uh, even the results of um, the, the, what we've seen in the news, the latest uh, on the residential school out in, in Western Canada where they found a uh, mass grave of so many young uh, indigenous children that were taken from their homes and under the auspices of, of a religious education uh, met a fate that doesn't look anything like what Jesus would ever want. The gap between what we can say we are and what we do can often be detrimental and cause so much pain and hardship. And it's something that we need to repent for and, and hold ourselves to account for that that could come under the banner of faith. Sadly, it has been happening too many times. And so what we do is we humbly submit ourselves to Jesus. We humbly submit and look to obey him and only him and look to, again, order our inner world with our outer world. And so what kind of gaps can we have? And I want to start with things that we look at today. I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm not belittling them or wanting to brush them aside as far as those big sin things that look so uh, common that we can look on the news and we can see uh, televangelists or, or great Christian leaders even, even recently that have fallen prey to certain acts that, that get exposed and have... Um, really just done damage to their ministry or to the ministry of the kingdom. I wanna, I'm going to pass by those things, not because they're not relevant, but because they're obvious. They're so obvious. And what I want us to do is pull back and say, what's affecting you and I? What's affecting us even on the, the one little step platform that we have in leading? Even if it's just our family or, or a neighbor or, or somebody that's new to the faith and discipling. What are some of those gaps that we can find that we may not look and go, well, that's not going to affect me because I don't lead a global ministry. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't isolated myself or gotten up in some big ivory tower where I'm separate from all the others in my, in my church leadership. What does it look like for us, boots on the ground, just trying to live our lives here in Cornwall? What are some gaps that can really affect us? And the first one is this, a reaction gap. A reaction gap. We're under stress or in our emotions, we react to people. Our bursts of emotions become harmful. How we decide to, to respond to people causes damage. And we don't rely on God in those moments. We just, we just respond in ourselves in those moments. Now, a, moment, a leader like this that we can see in the Bible was Moses, right? He was a, he was a leader that allowed himself to react. When he was, when he was young in, 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 in Egypt, what did he do when he saw an Egyptian ruler uh, beating an Israelite? He went over and he killed him, right? He, he killed that Egyptian. What did he do when he saw, when he saw the rock that he, he needed to just speak to and have the, have the water come out of the rock? What did he do instead? He took his staff and he struck it. 
What did he do when he saw the Israelites not following God when they were supposed to, when he came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets? He threw a fit and he threw them down and broke them on the ground. I'm sure many parents in the room can, can, uh, can attest to that, where you come in and you see your kids doing something that you don't want them to do, and you're like, I told you specifically not to do this. And you have something in your hands and you just want to like slam it down and have a dramatic effect with your, with your actions. We react in those situations. That can be a gap in our leadership where we react to things in our, in our emotions and it doesn't look anything like Jesus. The second one is a pleasing gap or an insecure gap where our actions are about pleasing others or leading out of insecurity. Timothy probably was facing this type of gap in his leadership early in his ministry. And that's why we see Paul encourage him not to let others look down on him for his youth. And he also encouraged him not to be timid with others. Because maybe Timothy was looking and going, man, these, everybody's older than me in this place. I gotta, I gotta learn how to please them. I gotta learn how to, to you know, do what they want me to do in order to be accepted by them. And, and Paul says, listen, no, you're young, but you, you got to lead. you got to step up into this and not just be there to please people or lead out of insecurity. We could look at Aaron, uh, Moses' brother. Uh, at that time where Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron was left in charge to, to lead the people. And while he, Moses is gone, he was gone for about almost a, a, a full month. He's gone up on the mountain. The people are like, ah, he's dead. He's not coming back. What are we going to do? Let's make a God like we had in Egypt. And what does Aaron do? He goes right along with them. He joins that herd, that herd mentality, and he just goes with them. And he's like, yeah, sure, give me all your gold, and I'll make a, I'll make a, a statue, and we can all worship and have parties. He was looking to please rather than to lead and say, no, my brother's going to come back. Just trust. Just be patient. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Sometimes when we lead, even if it's one person or families or, or whatever, we're looking to please others or out of our insecurity, we're always questioning our decisions and, and looking to lead in different ways because of uh, that, that gap that we have between who we are in person with God and, and th- those gaps and the, the the, the mistakes that are going on and our insecurity and in who we are is messing us up. The third gap that I'd, I'd like to address and just talk to just briefly today is this. A gap where we cut people off. Where we emotionally and relationally cut people off or distance ourselves from them when it gets tough to be there for them or it gets tough to lead them or minister to them. And we see this with the prodigal son and his brother, they both exhibit this behavior. The prodigal son first, when, when he has to respond to the family business and, and lead that way and look at what it's going to look like to be a part of that family moving forward, he says, says to his brother and his dad, basically, you're dead to me. Give me the inheritance like you'd already died and I'm taking it like you're dead now and let me go and live my life. He doesn't want to be a part of it. He cuts them off and goes and does his own thing. And, and though he does come back and in repentance, he comes back to his father and he just wants to be a servant for his dad. Then we see his brother, who still has all of his inheritance yet to come, is looking and going like, I don't want to be a part of this party that my brother's, my brother's here. You know, I'm, I'm going to sulk off in the corner. I'm going to cut him off, even though it should have been a great moment of rejoicing. We cut off people 
because we don't want to be around them or we don't want to minister to them or, or connect with them. And it can, be, it can be so detrimental to our leadership, of our families, our friends, our, our, any relationships that we have. And the question for us this morning with those three gaps isn't whether or not we have gaps, because we all have these gaps. There isn't a person on earth who doesn't have some type of gap in their life that needs to be worked out. The question is, am I growing in Christ so that the more he increases in me, the gaps in me decrease? Am I allowing my life to be fully submitted to God in order for that to happen? Now, the fancy theological words for this would be called sanctification, right? Which means to be set apart for a special purpose or use or to be, to be made holy. God wants to sanctify you in his grace so that he can set you apart and use you to lead others. God wants to close that gap within you so that he may manifest his power through you. And the closer we get to God and see those gaps shrink, the more he can allow his spirit to move freely through us. Now, does that mean if there's still gaps in your life, the Holy Spirit is not within you and the Holy Spirit doesn't rest on you? Absolutely not. You have full access to who God is. But the more we become obedient to Christ, the more we submit our lives to Christ, the more his spirit can act through us in accordance with who God is and his nature in us. So closing the gap. How do we lead well so that there are smaller and smaller gaps between who we are publicly and privately? How do we lead well? When it comes to that, that reaction gap, instead of reacting, we can respond. And you may say, what's the difference between reacting and responding? A reaction is based off of feelings and emotions and impulses. A response, in this case, is filtered through the Holy Spirit first. Instead of reacting in a situation, pause, reflect, and respond. In Proverbs 15, 1, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In what situations do you have the ability to speak into people's lives where speaking in a, react, in a reaction way has, has been how you've led instead of responding. Where somebody in your family, a brother, sister, uh, child or whatever, somebody you're in a relationship with says something, does something right or wrong or whatever and you react and you speak harshly, you speak ill, you, you do whatever and you react in that situation rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to filter your response. So respond instead of react. Allow a soft answer to turn away wrath that, rather than stir up anger. When it comes to the pleasing or insecure gap, we can lead with purpose instead of pleasing. Security in Christ rather than insecurity with people. We talked about it already, how Jesus has done everything already for us. He has laid the foundation. We take our identity because of who he is, not because of who we can be in our own strength. So we rest in that identity. We take our purpose from him, not from ourselves. And in that security, we can do things. 
Philippians 4, 12 to 13 says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And therefore I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When we rest in the security and purpose of Jesus, we know no matter the circumstances, he has us. He's in control. He will take care of us. And when, if, when we lead from that place, we, we, we lead with that purpose. Instead of uh, insecurity, we will do well. We'll close that gap. The third gap, the gap of cutting off or disconnectedness. Instead of cutting people off, we need to learn how to connect, to be unified as we lead. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you may be united in the same mind and have the same judgment. How do we do that? How do we be unified in God? How do we do this? And it's by this, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record over and over again because I'm preaching this to myself as much as I'm preaching this to you. We are unified because we're not the head. We're just the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus, it's the mind of Christ that we have. And if we have his mind, if we all have his mind, then we're unified in him. We're we're connected in him. We have that same, where, where am I here? We have no divisions and we have that same mind and same judgment because we are unified in him. Church, we need to continue to submit ourselves to him and be unified together. Now, does that mean whatever Pastor Ingrid and I say goes that we're some authoritarian head of who Jesus has for us here in Cornwall? Absolutely not. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our king. He is our Lord. He is our ultimate pastor. We're all walking towards him in this. How do we lead like Jesus? By leading well from the moment he called us out of the boat until the moment he calls us home. How did Jesus lead? By properly ordering his private world with the proper foundation needed to overcome the limitations of our humanity not having any gaps between his public life and his private life. And I know it can seem overwhelming to do this, to to work towards this. But if God calls us to it, then God will lead us through it. If God calls you to it, he'll get you through it. You don't need to worry about that. Jesus said we needed the same power of the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. You think about it, Jesus dies, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven. The work of the cross is complete. It's finished. And still he says to the, the, the first followers of his, about 120 of them, in Acts 1, 4 and 5 and verse 8, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For our inner world to be ordered, we need the Holy Spirit. For our gaps to be healed, removed, reduced, we need to repent and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. 
For us to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we need the Holy Spirit. We need all the spiritual gifts, all the fruit of the Spirit, the entire body of Christ active in this. But when we look at it, again, from the Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, we often want to change others. We often want to take a message like this and like, let's go tell them. Let's go start with those people out there and get them on their way to being the same in their inner world and outer world. But the change has to start in our Jerusalem, our heart, before it can spread out from there. And this is why Jesus led so well. If we too desire to lead well, we need the finished work of Jesus, the ongoing work of the Spirit, which includes all of us in the body of Christ. Can you imagine what would it look like in homes, in relationships, businesses, government, schools, churches, if leaders like us daily allowed Jesus to heal our inner worlds and close the gap in our outer worlds? What would people see? What kind of leaders would be be in those moments? Let's pray. God, We are absolutely so thankful that it is not up to us. It's not in our own strength at all that we have to do this. But God, that we can rely fully on your spirit, on the finished work of Jesus on the cross, raising from the dead and ascending to the throne. God, we rely on what Jesus has done and what your spirit will do in us to look like you to be imitators of you, and to lead like you, Jesus. And so God, as a church, we continue to say you are our head. You are our mind, God. We, we share that in, in you, God. You, we have the mind of Christ because of what you have done for us, God. And we, we submit to that so we can live that out in our daily lives. So that we can transform our homes we can transform our, our workspaces and our, our businesses and our communities in this city. And we can take your message and go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, declaring the goodness of God, your salvation in relationship with you, God. We thank you that we don't have to do this in our own strength. That our inner world and our, our public life can be congruent and there can be no gaps or small gaps when we rely on you, God. So we submit to you. We repent of the things that come up, God, that, I'll, that we take on and we do ourselves in our own strength instead of allowing your spirit to lead us and guide us in. We repent of those things, God, and we turn 180 degrees from them to turn back to you and allow you to unify us so we have the mind of Christ and the power of the spirit to be your witnesses. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.